I want to turn to a quote from a piece from Holding the High Line from Mark Goodman, who does a fantastic job covering the Colorado Rapids. That whole crew over at Holding the High Line does a wonderful job. This is a quote from a piece that came out from Mark earlier as I'm recording on Tuesday, September 5th, saying the failures of this team seem to be on the shoulders of Josh Kroenke and KSE. Our team's undefeated. Crap, we will punch it up, whatever it was in. Not a huge fan of it, but... I don't know where I was going. I looked like I was running and starting to talk to someone. I don't know what I was doing. I tell you what, Matt, we don't get much by you, that's for sure. Hello, Colorado Rapids fans. This is Holding the High Line with Rabbi and Red. It is Tuesday, September 5th, 2023, and my name is Matt Pollard. Earlier today, the Colorado Rapids parted ways with four-year head coach Robin Frazier after Saturday's loss to RSL, which clinched the Rocky Mountain Cup for RSL again. We're getting another Porg Smith presser tomorrow at time of recording. Joseph Samuelson is back with a bang on the Twitter machine, and... HTHL is in its best run of form in podcast history in terms of shout-outs. Thanks to Joe Lowry, amongst others who have appreciated and given credit to our work. Joining me now to provide some much-needed citations, Rabbi Mark Goodman. Oh, man. Uh, are, are these, like, moving violation-type citations? That would be really, really good. Um, yeah, it's been an interesting one. Matt, how many uh, MLS, how many Colorado Rapids managers have you and I survived at this point. There was uh, are we Pablo Master. Are we including interim managers? Oh, yeah, always. It's Pablo, Steve, it's Cookie, Pablo. Hudson. Cook. Hudson. Connor Casey. Connor Casey. Robin, Major make, Robin Frazier makes five. Mark, I feel pretty confident that Chris Little is not going to be with the club come uh, – next preseason so in theory if htHL makes it to January mark we will be on the seventh rapids manager since our pilot episode back in seven for you that's for the podcast eight for me as a as a commentator because I started writing when the rapids had yet to figure out uh, had, had just parted ways with Oscar Pereja and we're trying to figure out what to do afterwards and they were in this weird liminal space with uh, Master Eni, who I don't know if you remember this, but he was named like a special technical advisor under um, for the new season under Pareja, and then Pareja uh, quit, and they didn't do anything for three or four weeks, and like rumors swirled. But anyways, we're taking it back to the old school. So I'm on my eighth manager potentially, Matt. It's pretty weird. You were you were saying before the podcast, Mark, and we've had a couple different different iterations of this saying of like the part of our value or why you know our our brand and staying around is is our staying power and the fact yeah. that, that you know there's a lot of people who are going to disengage with the club, maybe come back in you know they, we're we're at the we're at the getting disappointed and then we're not yet to the other side of the triangle which is getting your hopes up necessarily and part of our value we're not 
the best rapids content creators maybe but we have been the we're, we've been around the longest and we've been the most persistent and the simple fact mark that you and i will not clearly break up from this increasingly unhealthy relationship that might not be going anywhere is what gets us clout with people on apple tv and with joe lowry and with other people as well in that regard and it allows us to it allows us to hang around and regardless of as i mentioned at the end of of last week's show mark um i i'm increasingly not coming this from a fan standpoint but just from a interest of understanding and i think we can agree this is continuously we have surpassed the 2019 rapids bizarro season the rapids are interesting but interesting in the way that grad school matt would want to model the flame structure of a literal dumpster fire that is where we are <laughs> at so um there are tears in my eyes there is soot formation that is going on mark it's interesting it's scientifically interesting it's just really sad and destructive yeah, I, I, uh, w- the the line that I used on you before was that we're the cockroaches of the uh, Colorado Rapids podcasting ecosystem. We're not the best podcast around. We're just the one that outlasts everybody else. Um, being a manager who outlasts other people is valuable. Um, you know, like uh, I'm thinking of the uh, manager of Minnesota. Um, who has they've had they've called for his head multiple times and he seems to have survived nonetheless um why am i blanking on the guy's name uh minnesota united's manager matt adrian heath adrian heath yeah he's he's survived some narrow scrapes but he's outliving um you know and that and that's I, I kind of thought, you know, and we'll get into it when we get into it, but I kind of thought that Robin Frazier was going to do just enough um, after July 4th that the team would say, you know, you know, we're having a bad season. You're responsible for some of it. You're going to be fired at the end of the year. But what's the point of firing, you know, him with seven games to go, eight games to go? Um, and the answer is, well, we weren't looking like we were ever going to win a game again and everyone had lost hope. So it was time. It was time. But we'll get into it a little bit more as we get into it a little bit more. Yeah. So I guess just really quickly, Mark, uh, for the sake of completeness, uh, Colorado Rapids this past Saturday at First America Field lose 2-0 to Real Salt Lake. Two goals off of set pieces, two mistakes on those set pieces as well. Mark, I don't know that it like it, it's basically been the exact same game that we've seen for the better part of two months. Ralph Prizo started. He wasn't particularly great. He wasn't the reason that the Rapids necessarily lost. Lost. Marco Ilicha needed to have done better on that direct free kick on that set piece late on in the first half. And then Steven Badesher loses the battle 1v1 with Chicho Arango, and Diego Rubio is in the area for a zonal marking on the front side of the post in the early minutes of the second half, and that gets the set piece goal. Um, the Rapids had periods of play mark where I think they were decent with the ball, but fundamentally not a lot of XG, not a lot of chances created even though the scoreline was only 2-0, even though at halftime it was 1-0 as opposed to against LAFC and against Minnesota, it was, you know, the game was out of hand at that point. There was never a point where you felt like the Rapids were competitive or going to do something in that regard. Um, I don't know, like, it's a moot point at this point because, like, we're, we're not going to, there's no point in us diagnosing what Robin Frazier's done wrong further. It's what he's done wrong previously anyways, and it's no longer relevant because he's no longer here. And Chris Little, um, has now, you know, the full international break to get the club ready, maybe make some changes personnel or tactically to get ready for New England Revolution. Mark, we are going to see whether or not this team has a new coach bump and whether or not the uh, whether or not Robin Frazier was indeed 
a bigger problem than you or I think he is. He was, and we're going to see whether or not this is truly a bottom group of players when you play New England Revolution at home or Seattle Sounders at home. If those two games were this week, Mark, like Wednesday, Saturday, I think we'd expect two spankings at best, maybe a one of those being a nil-nil draw. Like if they get absolutely drubbed in that, uh, that's bad. And obviously you're talking about two teams that I have making the playoffs in MLS. We're going to see if there's a new coach bump and if Robin was the problem. But um, I'm getting way ahead of myself. Mark, any thoughts you want to say about um, uh, about the RSL game other than the very apt uh, TIFO that we saw pregame? Thanks. Yeah, the dumpster fire one. Uh, you know, the, the, the floating dumpster meme that everybody knows, and then someone added fire to the floating dumpster. That happened here in Pittsburgh, Matt. Fun fact. <laughs> That's a true story. That's that happened in one of the runs in Pittsburgh where we had a flood and that dumpster went floating. So that's, was it that's flooding lo- or was it in a river, Mark? Well, that was in one of our local creeks that runs out into one of the rivers. So yeah, um, but yeah, uh, I actually, you know, it was funny. I was working on you. You gave me credit for doing an emergency. Uh, back pass. I actually was working on a regular back pass this morning, just doing a um, let's break down specifically. I remember watching, uh, let me explain where all of it came from. Um, I remember watching the match. Um, I fell asleep at the 73rd minute, but um, uh, I remember watching the match and saying to myself in the first half, these look like 11 guys running around who are not connected one to another. And I did not understand I, I, I would have to go back and rewatch the previous three or four games to see if I was just picking up on something I hadn't noticed before or whether this game was actually a cut below and a cut worse than the other games. I'm not really sure, and I'm not going to go back and watch more losing football that looks disjointed. But, like, um, I wasn't entirely right. It was just a, a specific number of plays. Um, I think playing a four-two-three-one after playing... Um, other formations like a 3-4-3 and a 5-3-2 wasn't quite working for the Rapids. I also think there was just a lot of, you know, there was also when they lined it up on paper, some people uh, wrote it out, uh, Foot Mob put it down as a 4-4-2, which demonstrates just how out of position several of the players were. Um, You know, I think there was a lot of trouble uh, trying to figure out how Tavares, Bassett, Prizo, and Connor Ronan were going to combine. Um, like I, I looked at it when the announcement got made about who, how they were starting, and I was like, "Have these guys played together? And if they have played together, what's that going to look like?" And then they started to play together, and it did not work. Like the midfield just kept kind of like smushing together. Um, there were a lot of times where um, either Illich or Wilson decided to bypass the midfield. There was like one play they were going to, which is a very old school, desperate Robin Frazier, and it used to be a Pablo Mastroeni staple, which is skip the, the midfielders, lump the ball up to the striker, have him win a 50-50. By the way, this was they used to do this with Jack McBean all the time. Um, lump the ball up to the the um, the striker, have him knock it backwards to one of the two midfielders who's running on, and then create a rush where you have two wide forwards to spray the ball wide out to. But unfortunately, you don't have anyone centrally in a dangerous place to... And, the, you know, they did that a bunch this game, and it worked a little, but mostly it didn't. And mostly, 
you took what was a very good possession or a, a, a likely possession and you turned it into a 50-50 ball that was bombed 70 yards forward that, you know, half the time got turned over. Um, Tavares didn't have a very good game. He kind of looked out of sorts, although he did some nice work off the ball to make runs pulling guys away. Prizzo had another stinker of a game, um, just really bad. And and it was an it was actually in the calculus for me of thinking about Robin Frazier getting fired, I was like, Okay, so we're not thrilled. Some of us are not thrilled that Robin got fired. Some of us think, like, maybe he wasn't the problem. Maybe the problem starts with the front office. But you can't deny the fact that everybody with a brain has been saying for three games or four games or five games or seven games in a row, Ralph Prizzo doesn't seem to be a very good solution to what ails the Rapids. And Robin Frazier started him again anyways, right? Like, I'm not exactly sure what he saw in him that warranted a start if – if only because maybe there just isn't anybody in central midfield who's particularly compelling. Right. Um, so yeah, I mean, they're, they're just, it just was, it was pretty bad. Um, you know, I think there was, there were, there was just a, there was a moment where that I gift in my, um, in my back pass where Ronan passes the ball to, I think he's going to Cole Bassett and, Ralph Prizzo like steals the ball from him, like runs in front of him and takes the ball. And I'm, and then the obvious move for Prizzo is to use the screen that's been set for him and run forward. Prizzo turns backwards, then does a pirouette and then starts going back the other way. And he's got no options. Now he went from having like four good options with the ball and facing forward to facing backward and having no good options. And it was like, it was both a classic Prizzo move, but it was like, also classic Rapids 2023, 20, which was like, we took something promising and turned it into nothing. And it was just a micro moment in a 90-minute game, but it, it really summarized everything for me. Matt, any thoughts? There's no point in breaking down the little stuff. Uh, we know what happens when the Rapids go at RSL, having already lost a home game in the Rocky Mountain Cup. RSL saw the result. Their star players played like star players, um, and the Rapids just, again, looked disjointed. Um, I, I should point out, listeners, I did have a – I had what for me was a Freudian slip that you could have perceived as a mistake. What I said, and a, a credit to a listener who pointed it out, the um, – I said last week, Mark, that the third leg against RSL Decision Day on on October 21st, October 22nd, did not count towards the Rocky Mountain Cup. What in my brain I meant to say and thought I said out loud was that if RSL wins this weekend, which they did – is that effectively that game is irrelevant for the Rocky Mountain Cup. The first thing that matters for Rocky Mountain Cup, folks, isn't aggregate goals scored over the games that count towards it. It's aggregate points gained. So at this point, RSL has two wins. They are up 6-0 from a point standpoint. And the best that the Rapids can do in that regard is make it a 6-3 loss. And then I suppose if it's a draw, then in theory it could be 7-1. And there's a non-zero possibility, listeners, this ends up being a clean sweep for RSL and they win 9-0. But there's nothing it's not goal scored it's not goal difference regardless of the results the Rapids could win on decision day 31-0 and RSL are still Rocky Mountain Cup champions so I made a mistake on that this is now longer relevant because RSL has already won said Rocky Mountain Cup um 
the dumpster fire TIFO, I think, was extremely apt, Mark. Um, I think it was an it was a you know it was the dig and a shot at the state of the Colorado Rapids and the fact that you saw so many Rapids fans either agreeing with it or not pushing back on it shows how based in that that was representative of where a lot of people, including externally and internally and people who hate the rapids people who love the rapids clearly agree that that's where the state of the club is and then i wrote a separate article for burgundy wave um for listeners who want to check it out where um cole bassett mark who for me is extremely good and thoughtful and intentional about what he does in media i think said a lot of the quiet part out loud that we've been wanting to see and I think showed a level of emotional and connection with where the team was at, the significance of Saturday night in the macro, in the micro, in terms of RSL that we've seen lacking from a lot of people. We've seen um, Keegan Rosenberry apologized, I think, during one of the RSL at home losses back in April, May, where where there was the MLS game on the Saturday and then Open Cup, Rocky Mountain Cup on the midweek, we've seen Jack Price apologize. Diego Rubio has done it as well. I should point out, Mark, I believe that response from Cole was off of a question from Brendan Plone of the Denver Post, who asked um, uh, who asked Cole, like, do you have a message for the fans? And Cole went on to say, you know, I'm, I, I'm genuinely sorry. You know, I hate losing. I hate losing to these guys, especially. And then, like, he took a – he was coming at it from a he was a fan first, Mark, which I think was really sure. a good moment for Cole. And – Robin was asked that same question, and Robin responded by saying, just that we'll keep working and we're doing everything that we can. Like, there was no, I apologize. There was no, this is unacceptable. And so I think the, and we've seen that before from Robin, where he's not been poked, but it's like the, I'm giving you a platform to, like, tell the fans that you appreciate them, acknowledge that you deserve better, and take some responsibility. And we didn't necessarily see that from him. I don't think that was the reason that um, Robin got fired. I think as soon as the full-time whistle went, I think Robin... Robin probably knew, and I think there were a lot of people at the club who were expecting it. The only thing that was really surprising for me, Mark, is that I think it would have been really easy for the club to hide it by posting it on a national holiday rather than first huh. thing in the morning with everybody back on their devices and not in the mountains or watching the footballs. Um, so uh, that was the only thing about it that really um, surprised me. But it, it was nice to see Cole take some accountability and acknowledge the pain of the fans in that regard. That's not something that Robin was particularly good at. I'm really curious to see tomorrow at time of recording, and we will have the audio from the press conference with Porrick Smickfolk here on the um, uh, on the HTHL feed for you to listen to um, for that. I, I, that's something that we did not see and we have not seen, Mark, from Porrick in the past that I want to believe that um, we'll see. But um, that's it. Rocky Mountain Cup's over. Um, the Rapids probably aren't making the playoffs, and again, there's a bunch of metrics by which to define that this is – Worst run of form that the Rapids are in. One win in 18 all comps, Mark. One win in 15 in league play. Um, it's really bad. And Chris Little and company have, what, uh, like 10 days, 12 days in order to get it right for New England. And if they end up losing, Mark, there's – we're going to get a really good idea, Rabbi. We're going to get a uh, – there's going to be a good barometer of whether or not this truly is a bottom group of players as available. I want to clarify that. So incorporating Diego Rubio's injury um, – other injuries they've had, Jack Price being out. We're going to see that in the next two games that they have, which are both home games. Um, and if they go on a run mark, then maybe I owe a mea culpa to some of the players, and maybe I we owe some backwards, um, some retroactive criticism to Robin Frazier that maybe he was more of the problem and deserves more blame pie than we say that he has. Anything else specifically on RSL that we want to say, Mark, or shall we move on to the actual macro implications of Frazier's dismissal? Let's move to the big story. 
Yeah, um, Rabbi, so I guess we, uh, do we want to start with uh, – there's two public statements, Mark, that we got. Firstly, from the press release from Pork Smith that I want to read out. And then do we want to read out the now-circulated email that was sent out to season ticket members as well and then talk about that? For sure. Go for it, buddy. Okay, so um, I, I won't read the whole press release, folks. It mentions the record and everything. We know it's good about Robin Frazier, but so the quote that we have from Pork from that is, we're incredibly grateful to Robin for his commitment to the club and for what he achieved in his time as head coach. This was a difficult decision and one we felt was necessary to best position the club to return to the playoffs and ultimately compete for trophies. We thank Robin for his four years of dedicated work and we wish him nothing but the best in the future. I should say, Mark, I don't have any concerns about Robin landing on his feet. I intend to ask tomorrow when we speak to Pork whether or not the duration of Robin's contract, which was through 2025, was guaranteed. He's going to be okay financially, Mark. I would be shocked at this point, Rabbi, if one of John Herdman or Greg Vanny has not reached out to him about joining that coaching staff at either Toronto or the LA Galaxy, respectfully, as an assistant by now. Robin will land on his feet in 2024 it will probably be as an assistant mark i'm just concerned with the way these two his two head coaching opportunities have ended if it's going to be a while before you get his next head coaching job and as jonathan tannenwald tweeted i think really aptly and hearing it from him who's out of market and relevant and has a platform to say that a lot of it wasn't his fault i wonder is the next opportunity he gets going to be one where he has an opportunity in ways that you and i felt that he was under supported and not put in a position to succeed this season so in any case um uh, this email that is addressed to the Rapids family but is uh, was sent out to Rapids season ticket holders was first made aware by me by Jason Maxwell. It's been circulated out a bunch as well. Um, Mark, there's been some red lines and some commentary on it that people have been commenting on and looking at as well. But I'm, I'm not going to provide any commentary, not going to provide any context. This is the entire email that Porik uh, addressed to season ticket members uh, from start to finish. Dear Rapids family, as you receive this email, the club has just announced the difficult decision to part ways with our head coach, Robin Frazier. It wasn't a decision we took lightly or without considerable thought, so I wanted to take the moment to offer some insight as to why such a significant change is necessary and is being made at this time. First, though, I want to recognize Robin's dedication to our club and his achievement as our head coach. There were several highs during his time with us, most notably the club record season we had in 2021, back-to-back playoff appearances, and the incredible comeback in 2020 to win the Rocky Mountain Cup. I'll always be grateful to him for those memories and for his commitment to this badge. Unfortunately, we have also experienced some untenable lows that have culminated culminated in our clearly in our current reality, colon, a team that is last in the league, has scored the fewest goals, has lost another Rocky Mountain Cup, and is on the verge of missing out on the playoffs once more. This simply, this is, that's simply unacceptable. It's unacceptable uh, for the type of club we want to be, and most crucially, it's unacceptable because this is a team that is capable of much, much more than that. We've seen what potential this team can Uh, can be when we play out to our strengths and follow our principles that saw us top of the Western Conference not too long ago. Finishing with a club record point total in 2021 wasn't by luck. It was the result of a systematic approach that built on progress made over years, over 
uh, made year over year from 2018 through 2021. We've since deviated from that path, however, and that's ultimately why that's ultimately what this change is about getting back on track back to being a team that is playing that plays to its strengths back to being a team that emphasizes player development back to being a team that approaches each game with urgency intensity and boldness with a resonant spirit and a burning desire to win and of course back to being a team that gets results and makes our supporters proud you deserve as much i share your frustration and disappointment for how this season has gone and promise we we will bounce back. We've done so before and we will do will do it again. I couldn't be more grateful for the support you've shown to the club throughout this difficult stretch and vow to do everything I can to get back on the path towards success we all yearn. Sincerely, Porg Smith, Colorado Rapids president. Uh, Mark, would you like to provide some commentary responses? Anything that sticks out? I, I don't know that anything sticks out. I mean, I, I, I uh, there's... Porik has a way with words. Yes. Uh, in, As we will probably find out tomorrow at 1130. He has a way with words in a way that um, makes you feel like he's accepting responsibility and not accepting responsibility at the same time. Like he he's as media polished and PR slick as it gets. Um, that's a that's a, a damning by faint praise or that's kind of like a, a, a compliment that also serves as an insult. Um because he's really good at it, but it also just feels kind of soulless um, and like a dodge. And I think for a lot of Rapids fans, they want um, they want people to fall on their swords. They want people to take accountability. They want Pork Smith specifically to take accountability for picking the wrong players that put Robin in the position that he was in. I think you know, like that. That's that's a a thing. But but I think. Um, Pork doesn't want to do that for at least two reasons. One, I don't think he believes that the players he picked are deficient. Uh, and two, he doesn't want to lose his job. And there's no way to say, you know, me and Robin are equally responsible for this mess of a team that we've concocted um, without immediately saying, and as such, I am resigning as the president and former general manager of the Colorado Rapids because half of this is my fault and I am going to go try and figure out how to be a better general manager at the USL level where, you know, I can hone my craft and prove myself and return. You know, like that's, that's why this statement doesn't quite do it. Um, there was a line in there that maybe you noticed that, uh, a couple people online also noticed about like kind of deviating from deviating from the path is the language. Yeah. Deviating from the path is, is, and the implication that a lot of people were picking up is he didn't wrap its way enough. And that was his original sin that caused him to be cast out from the garden of Eden. And it's like, uh, I don't know. I mean, like you and I have both talked about the last couple podcasts about whether the rapids way doesn't work and whether that needs to be rethunk from its beginning. And the answer essentially is, you know, not according to this press release. According to this press release, Robin Frazier just wasn't capable of Rapids weighing hard enough. So we need to find a more Rapidsy, Waysy kind of person to to do this job uh, going forward. Matt, what did you pick up from it that was uh, of note? 
Yeah. So uh, my question is like deviating from the path, you know, he mentions here, uh, where is it towards the end of it? Mark saying that the, like the team needs to approach it with urgency, intensity, and boldness and a resolute spirit and a burning desire to win. So that's kind of my question when he says deviating from the path, was that that Robin was not executing on the vision of the Rapids way? Was he doing it in a wrong way? Or was this simply coming down to the the keep fighting component of the team as well, Mark? You know, the fundamentally the Rapids way is an acknowledgement that there's good stuff in the history and how the clubs build and what they do to try to access, but it needs to pivot, not throw the baby out with the bathwater. So my question is then, are they seeing is the is which is the baby and which is the bathwater hmm. in this case? And Porks now multiple times, Mark, on the record not asked about that game specifically has commented on the first half performance at St. Louis city where just the rapids were not in it. And even after getting punched in the mouth twice, like did not react quickly enough. There wasn't a intensity, you know, we can fault players for not being good enough technically in some regard, we can fault them for being in difficult situations, but like the, you can't not try as we mentioned, as I've I've said this a number of times, I don't know if I've said it on HDHL, like the, um, you know, the, fundamentally two of the core tenets mark of this club success in 2021 were maximum effort and the power of friendship and so this is a club with how they spend and how much how the lack of depth they had and the injuries they've had this season there's so much less margin for error anything less than maximum effort basically from like mid-May where they had that, um, where they started to have that, where the bad stretch went down, where they had that period where they were unbeaten and it was a bunch of draws and it was like, okay, they were playing bad teams. We played good teams. There was the game against Columbus. That was a loss. I think there was another good team in there. The Rapids ended up losing too. There was the San Jose game. They probably should have won at home. And so it was, okay, they're just not as good. This team needs to maximum effort to have any opportunity to make the playoffs in that regard. And I agree with Porik that I think something in what Robin was doing, even if it was just as simple, and um, again, if you listen to the audio from Cole on Saturday Night Listeners, or if you see my, or if you read my article, there's a point where Cole acknowledges the quiet part out loud and then dances around it without saying it, Mark. I increasingly am starting to wonder, was Robin a broken record with the team? Did he lose the locker room or was the message not being heard? And the simple fact that Chris Literal will be a different voice as the biggest and the most prominent voice in the locker room, even if he's saying the same things or saying it in similar ways, is just going to be a breath of fresh air that the club needed at this time. And so that's something I want to wonder. That's something I wonder about internally. And we'll get data points on that on September 16th. And then I think three or four days later, whenever the Seattle game is. But the the other big thing for me, Mark, that he pointed out that um, that Pork pointed out also was the um, – uh, you know, it's unacceptable because this team is capable of much, much more than that. That to me is the this is not a bottom group of players. That's right. This is not my this is not my fault. This is this is somebody else's fault. But so I've I've heard this now from a number of people, um, former players, coaches at the time, and then Pork when Hudson was dismissed. Mark, um, they had a meeting. Uh, this was pre. I can't remember if this was with Connor Casey coming over his interim report spoke, and he said specifically, "I do not believe that this is an O. I think the record was O eleven and two, eleven losses, two draws, no wins in the first thirteen games of the season." He said, "I do not believe that this roster is." that that record is reflecting of that. And Pork is clearly saying he does not believe this team from a talent, from a makeup standpoint, from what they're capable of, that right now they are 
wooden spoon contenders. And we can have a discussion about that. And I'm sure if if we ask and Pork's in front of a camera and know that he's being recorded, the first thing he's going to say, Mark, is, well, uh, you know, you know, Jack Price went down for the year. Diego Ruiz has had a bunch of injuries. Not many teams would respond well to their most important midfielder, their most important attacking player going down. And that has to be, and that can't be understated. But so, like, he's clearly, and so while there's, well, I think there's a lot of good stuff in here, Mark, in you deserve so much more. The results have been on, you know, there's unacceptable twice in back-to-back sentences in the statement. To your point, at no point is there accountability. At no point is there, I bear responsibility for this. There's, this is unacceptable. You deserve more. We're going to work to do better. But again, Mark, the, the responses that I saw in the comments on Burgundy Wave, in the comments when I tweeted it out, there were so many fans of just hearing, I'm going to look the actual quote up here, Mark. We're, we're going to look up what, what Cole actually said. Here we go. Um, Cole's message to the Cole Bassett's message to the fan base quote I'm genuinely sorry it means as much to me as it does to you guys I hate losing to these guys referring to RSL like the like I, I think there's a lot of fans Mark that want to hear I Porrick Smith apologize for the state of the team I bear some responsibility in this I think the, there's so many fans that just the, the fact that he hasn't said it Mark to your point, I think bears the question, does he think that or is he not saying that from a job security standpoint? Um, I was thinking about the last press conference, Mark. I was texting back and forth with a um, season ticket holder who didn't care for Pork's tone. And, you know, we you mentioned it a couple minutes ago. We've mentioned it of Pork's approach to public statements when he knows that he's quotable and everything and his certain demeanor in that regard. And I think there's a lot of fans who have certainly soured to that, not only the way that he approaches what he says, but what he says and what he does not say. And I think there's a lot of fans that increasingly wonder, like, is he speaking to an audience of one? There was a interview pre-COVID in the Trump administration, Mark, where Stephen Miller went on a bunch of the CNN Sunday talk shows, and he speaks to Joe uh, Jake Tapper, and they get into it. They kind of get into some verbal fisticuffs, and there's a point where Jake Tapper shuts down whatever Stephen Miller's saying, and he says, "Stephen, I don't think that you're being. I don't think that you're here genuinely to talk to the American people. I think that you're here for an audience of one, the president, and I think you're being obsequious. I'm not going to go that far yet, Mark, but I could understand why there's a lot of fans that feel that and Porix." refusal to do that either means he doesn't believe it, which a lot of fans see as cognitive dissonance or a lack of accountability on his end, even though he seemingly is capable of holding everyone below him in the org chart accountable. And then the questions about whether or not the people above him at KSE are holding him accountable, given the club hasn't uh, given ownership hasn't itself dismissed a executive or head coach directly in the last 15 years. I'm going to ask tomorrow, listeners, how much ownership was involved, or is this just like the Hudson and the Mastroeni firing, where it was a decision made by Smith with the support of ownership? That's the language that I've been told a number of times for those two dismissals. And so does Pork genuinely not believe that he's accountable, Mark? Does he think the fans are owed an apology? Or is he not doing it because of the dynamics? And in that regard, are we not getting someone who public-facing is genuine from an accountability standpoint and is protecting themselves at the expense of the the emotions and then ultimately the club being able to move forward? I think all of those are interesting questions based on this statement. We'll see what Pork has in store for us um, with the presser tomorrow. Um, Robin, or excuse me, Mark, what is... what? What is you firing me, Matt? No, no, Mark. I I could never fire you. What is uh? What is Robin Fraser's legacy? Ten years from now, when we talk about Robin Fraser, what will we remember? What will we think about? 
Huh, wow, that's an interesting question. Um, you know, he comes in after Anthony Hudson and after pa- after Pablo Mastroeni, and so I think their reputations were Pablo Mastroeni had an identity as a head coach, which was similar to his days as a player, um, defensive midfielder, tough-minded, impossible to play through, physical, uh, smash-mouth soccer. And, um, you know, that ultimately was his undoing because I think the front office and the fans to some degree got tired of grinding out one-to-nothing wins and wanted something a little bit more contemporary and exciting. So then we bring in Anthony Hudson, who brought us contemporary and exciting but couldn't win. You know, like the team got uh, pulled apart and uh, game after game while scoring a little bit more than they did under the Master Any days, but it didn't really matter because, you know, losing 4-1 to one isn't better than drawing 1-1. to one. I mean, technically it's worse. Um, so they moved away from that, and I think Frazier got closer to the vision than any other coach um, in the sense that you know, one of the things I noted in this last game, and I think this is something you can go back through Rapids history under Frazier and note, which is they never got obliterated defensively. Like they never looked, they had some games where they looked second best, you know, when they got hammered four to nothing versus LAFC, that wasn't great. But like, I I never felt like a, a Robin Frazier team was set up poorly defensively or that they were um, attacking in a way that made the defense uh, weakened or, or second best. Um, I felt like, you know, Frazier's overall watchword was balance, that everything was kind of like there was a lot of, um, you know, attention to ball movement, shifting the opposing defense around without pulling your own players well out of position and being, you know, easily um, exposed on the counter, which was a, a hallmark of the Hudson era, that Hudson would come up with a really exciting attacking, you know, thing that if it were round up in a turnover would result in. Um, so that I think is Frazier's legacy, that he was kind of flexible, flexible bend, but don't break. But ultimately that became stale and boring and it didn't really accomplish a whole lot. Um, and it, it was not, it was... It showed flashes at times under the right people with at the right times of being functionable but not sexy, but it was ultimately um, not the right direction to go in that uh, bear, bore fruit for the team. I don't know. Did I get somewhere near what you were thinking, or are there, are there other things that you think are, are uh, more notable for a legacy from Robin Frazier to remark upon? Maybe for me, Mark, this is the the fact that I'm boots on the ground media and a lot of what I'll remember about Robin is my, you know, individual in-person interactions that obviously a lot of fans, you know, fans see him, you know, in videos that the club put out. They see him occasionally in the locker room um, with like the Elevate series and then they see him on game day and how he acts on the, um, you know, on the sideline and everything. I just remember, I think Robin's still an incredible professional. I think he's an incredibly good person. I was not one of the media members who asked him a lot about what was going on with his daughters and what they did from a soccer standpoint there. But from everything that I can tell, um, you know, he's a very competent and caring, you know, loving girl dad, 
uh, father. Um, and so I'll just remember that he was the steady hand that the Rapids needed, who wanted to be here, who cared about being here, like who saw this as an opportunity. And he matched the tactical acumen and the uh, the X's and O's that I think the front office saw in Hudson and thought Hudson could figure out with the emotional history and connection to the club that Pablo Mastroeni clearly had. And in that regard, I think he was a perfect fit on a number of fronts at the right time to come to the Rapids. Just the calm demeanor that he had being, you know, let's call it Mark, you know, a, a stoic black man who, you know, has had to work for a lot of his opportunities and had, you know, and has been questioned in terms of his credentials every single time that he's went up. I can't remember if this was, uh, with Taylor Twellman or if this was Grant Wall before he passed, but there was a point where Robin alluded to in his time at Toronto where he was getting interviews about whether or not those interviews were genuine in terms of those opportunities or if he was being interviewed as a second mm-hmm. or third backup candidate. The Rooney, the Rooney rule candidate. Uh, but, well, this would have been pre the, – the, that rule was implemented with Wilfer Nancy coming to Montreal and then – or getting elevated to Montreal and then Colorado um, signing um, uh, Robin Frazier. And I should point out, Mark, we are down to one uh, black head coach in Major League Soccer. It is just Wilford Nancy who's in his first year at Columbus Crew. We started with three, Robin Frazier gone and then Ezra Henderson gone, what, I think, um, you know, less than a year and a half into his tenure with the Chicago Fire um, as well. And opportunities for coaches and what that looks like from an ethnic diversity standpoint and a background diversity that comes with that, I think is increasingly still a, a valid question in Major League Soccer. And how does MLS implement that given one of the people who was the like literal, like the poster boy for the class action lawsuit that would have led to that rule was Robin Frazier being potentially more qualified than his head coaches at RSL and New York Red Bulls and then being just like if you're talking about who was more responsible for the vision of Toronto FC Mark in terms of like the the him and Greg Vanny, it's at best in favor of Vanny, it's 60-40. And I've spoken to a number of people in Toronto who would argue it was like 55-45. And if you've got an assistant coach who's like that and everything, like that's a that that's closer to Bruce Arena, Dave Sarakin than it is, you know, um, you know, I, I guess whoever's uh, Tata Martino's assistant at this point at Inter Miami, basically saying like, "Hey, pass the ball to Messi, and then get open so Messi can pass it to you." Um, and so, you know, I just I think he was the right guy for the job. We'll always have 2021 and those joys and everything. I think Robin genuinely cared about the club. He didn't see it as a stepping stone. He saw this as an opportunity that he really had, and he was emotionally committed to the project in mind, body, and soul in ways that Pablo was not tactically, in ways that we saw, if you're believing the rumors around Newcastle, you know, I think Hudson was looking for an opportunity, and clearly, as he's shown, will go to the opportunity that presents him, uh, that presents itself to him. This is the best opportunity, regardless of geography or level in terms of um, quality. Um, And then just his humanity and the way that he showed it, Mark, you know, he was a very reserved individual. He was a certain way with the media, as, you know, I mentioned on Twitter earlier Mm. today, Mark and I, or, um, you know, Brendan and I eventually earned his respect and um, say what you will about how 
other members of the club about how Porrick Smith handles media, about how other players have handled media and everything. It took a little bit of time for Robin to, I think, get used to us. 2020 did him a disservice because there was less in-person interaction with the way that the club did the Zoom press conferences. There wasn't video both ways, so he could hear us, but it, it doesn't lend itself well to a conversation and a back and forth. Um, you know, but Robin fundamentally respected me and respected so many other people in the space, and he got that, and he tried to work within that even when there were difficult moments and I'll just remember like these little moments of humanity that you've seen as well Mark when um one of the the young players would have a particularly bad game or I remember this with um with Danny Wilson seeing it a few times at training I've never talked about this at all with anybody by the way when things weren't going great when he was in and out of the lineup mark going into 2021 and just like coming to him talking to him and like not putting his arm around the shoulder because I think Danny's technically taller but just mm-hmm. the that little interpersonal action that he had combined with the vision for what someone could be tactically and in the right situation when things were going well could bring out the best in him and so there was one little moment that I saw Mark that was just a, an incredible it was a little little thing that like would have been like a nonverbal thing that you see for a split second on Ted Lasso that the edit and the cut specifically includes to like show so much into a character's development and everything. And it was after Robin's first home game with the club. They had obviously his first game was, uh, you know, Labor Day weekend um, at New York Red Bulls, the start of the altitude kerfuffle. And Jonathan Lewis scores a brace to win at Red Bull Arena. And then they come back for Frazier's first home game at DSG and the Rapids win 2-0 against Seattle Sounders. And then Robin comes in for the press conference. I had already met him, but, you know, he's like the, um, you know, he's getting used to the room and the space and everything. And then uh, he's getting ready to come out. I'm right by the door. And then we kind of might got contact. And then he, you know, goes into his own headspace because I do think Robin's a very introverted person. And he says, this was a good one, but there will be bad ones. That is certain. Mm-hmm. And he's kind of like, he, he smirks to himself and then he nods and like accepting of like, this is my lot at the head coach and my job is how I go about dealing with that, not the reality of that. And so for someone who was so reserved, who comported himself in a certain way with a lot of people where a lot of his personality that I think people around the club saw we weren't privy to being outside the club, not being players, not being the other staff and everything. He just had these other little moments that I think just showed his incredible level of humanity to where just I respect him as much as a person as I do a head coach. I feel very comfortable saying right now, Mark, based on what he achieved, his circumstances and everything, he is the second best head coach in Colorado Rapids history. And had the Rapids won MLS Cup in 2021, I would feel very comfortable saying right now he is better than uh, his tenure and what even if 2022 unchanged 2023 unchanged I would feel comfortable saying right now had they won MLS Cup um, he is better he's the best head coach in club history the only thing that is separating him from Gary Smith is that trophy as it should be and that should be the standard now in that regard Mark where the heck do we go from here obviously I've, I've said it a few times now a difficult cr- stretch to go on there's Eight games left. Um, this team would have to go on. I haven't even done the math because I didn't think it was relevant, Mark. What, what would or should a new coach bump look like? Should we care at all about what Chris Little is doing? Or is this closer to um, like a Steve Cook situation where we've just got eight games to go before the offseason can start? And it's just a matter of can they out-result Toronto to not win the spoon? I don't know how to care about the rest of the season. I mean, I think you evaluate it on eight games. I think it's fun for you. I mean, honestly, in terms of um, 
being uh, media, my favorite stretch of interviewing any coach was the Steve Cook era. Cook had an openness and a relaxedness. Uh, you know, he wanted results. He wanted to try things. He didn't really have what he needed. I mean, I think Steve Cook played like Lewis Gill more than any coach ever needed to play any other player in, in history. But it was just like, what else are we going to do? What's the point? Um, you know, I'd like to see the young players get a chance, but I don't really think we're going to see a lot of that, mostly because I feel like the team doesn't necessarily believe that throwing Rapids two players into the mix against Major League Soccer teams is going to be healthy for them. I think they're going to feel like they're outmatched and it's going to hurt their confidence. I mean, Yaya Torre was starting for Rapids 2 against North Texas, which that was a decision that had to be made. This was not a game where the Rapids and Rapids 2 traveled to RSL together. The two teams split the difference. That was a notable thing. I don't know if you picked this up, Matt. I tweeted it really quickly, but um, Sebastian Anderson was on the bench on Saturday, and then for the Rapids, and he didn't. He was an unused sub, and then he started in North Texas, which meant, I suppose, at the end of the game on Saturday night, the coaching staff turned to him and said, "You know, we've got a plane ticket for you to go to Texas tomorrow morning. You're on the eleven o'clock." hydrate you know like that was that's kind of crazy to me but i assume that they had probably briefed him at the beginning of the weekend break which was don't bring one out for it it fit for the weekend bring three you know um reminds me quick story that has nothing to do with this whatsoever um i uh interviewed for three jobs the year i was ordained from rabbinical school and didn't get any of them and so the next couple weeks i had to interview um i Flew to, no joke, Jackson, Mississippi to interview for a job, um, which I can tell you all about on another podcast at another time. Um, on my other podcasts, rabbis go for job interviews. Um, and I flew out to Jackson and I flew home and I called my dad uh, on my way back and I said, I was living in LA and I said, hey, you know, my flight from um, LA to San Francisco for my next job interview is right after my flight from Jackson. Can you meet me at the airport with a change of clothes? And so I met my dad at the airport. I came out of the terminal. I handed him a, ba- a suit bag. He gave me a different suit bag, gave me a hug, said good luck. And I walked right back in and got on a plane to San Francisco. Um, and that that feels like how uh, Sebastian Anderson had to do it. I, anyways, what are my expectations for the rest of the season? Not much. Uh, uh, you know, maybe a little bit of fun here. Um, uh, uh, trying some new things, um, letting some different players get some run. Um, but I, I, you know, if we lose all eight games and we do it in spectacular fashion, or if we grind out literally one or two draws or one win the rest of the season, I'll consider it a success. Um, I don't think Chris Little is any, um, is, is in any position to be the head coach next year. No. So it doesn't, it, it's, it's, uh, it's really absolutely just a, the lamest of lame duck eras in the history of the Colorado Rapids. Yeah, I was I was asked about this, Mark. I have someone who's not an immediate family member, but relatively close um, to um, Wildy Harris from a previous uh, coaching stint that he had that asked me about like what I thought about his job security. And Mark, I feel 
I feel pretty confident unless it's somebody else with a close connection to the club. I, I don't think Marcelo Balboa would be interviewed for it, Mark, but I, I could see Balboa coming in and then taking stock of the existing assisting staff and then deciding and then giving that opportunity for them to come in. I could see, I, I think the only assistant who survives next year under a new head coach is Chris Sharpie. And with the concerns that we increasingly have about the goalkeeper position and Marco Illich mark and the fact that, you know, Sharpie is also responsible for set pieces. And we've seen a clear regression now in that. I think it's a valid question. I, I think that new head coach who comes in should have the opportunity to speak to every single assistant and then make their own decision, regardless of what it means financially for the club, without any pressure from the front office, whether or not to keep or depart from anybody. There's a very real possibility that we've got a bunch of lame duck assistant coaches at this point who at this point, Mark, are making calls and then trying to set up for interviews for where they're going to be next year. And going back to my last kind of thought about the the origin of where maybe the crux is of where Robin was most at fault of the do they keep trying to do what they're doing, Mark? Are we going to see a, a 4-2-3-1, 4-3-3-ish depending on the setup? Or at what point does Chris Little say like, hey, let's get some confidence. Like, d- does Chris Little do what we've been saying Robin hasn't done that ultimately maybe contributed? Like, let's just go flat 4-4-2. Um, do we see a reset in terms of Chris Little saying, hey, you know, we've got training this week, guys, and then, you know, you're coming back on Monday, and whoever plays the best in training in all of our drills between Monday and Thursday, you're the ones who's getting start on Saturday. So then it's a free-for-all in terms of um, competition in that regard. Do we see that? I don't know. Uh, Chris Little was um, – with the Tacoma Defiance mark, I think technically when they were in the USL before they were the MLS Next Pro affiliate for the Sounders, I didn't watch the Defiance enough to know what they were like tactically, how similar are they to what the Rapids were trying to be with the Rapids way or how close they were to the Seattle Sounders. But do we see a slightly different spin? Possibly. Do it make? Does it make a difference? I'm not sure. But I, I go back to Mark. We're going to get we, – we've got eight really – we've got eight data points that we're going to see between now and the end of the season about – whether or not this is a bottom group of players and how much Robin and his approach or how he was saying it was ultimately at fault. Um, and at some point, Mark, whenever this team is officially eliminated from the playoffs, I'd like to see the kids get a run out. You know, there's been so much clamoring about how bad the center backs were, how bad Ralph Preso's been, how bad some of the attackers are. Give Sebastian Anderson 90 minutes at home against Austin FC if the Rapids are eliminated from the playoffs at that standpoint. Let's see, is 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 he as bad as Alex Gershback was at Seattle the season opener as well? Like, let's get some data point on that. We've been saying and we've been thinking the fact that Mike Edwards, Abubakar Keita can't get minutes. The fact that Bombito's gotten minutes over them shows how much better he is than all of those. Like the give the fans a visual representation. Are these guys actually that bad at the bottom? And so let's play the kids and let's yeah. see if Mike Edwards can do anything. Was this secretly Robin trying to get results to save his job? Save his job. Was this Robin not rating them in the moment or not liking something different or? Are they actually bad? Is all the depth and all the youth that we've been talking about and all the players who've gained so much experience and are clearly showing they can do it as MLS Next Pro level, are they secretly, is their threshold bad at the MLS level? Like, let's see Mike Edwards go out in a game where he's going to be desperate to prove himself and absolutely boss the game. Or is he going to go out and he's going to be terrible and we're like, wow, if that was Lawless Abubakar, we'd be like, that's bad even by Lawless's standards. That's proof then that he's part of the problem and that the roster build um, is not as good or the depth isn't as good as we 
it's not good in that we don't think it's good, but we haven't physically seen that. And how much of Robin's own failings and his uh, input looking at players through his own biases was maybe contributing to that. We should get an understanding of what that looks like, especially once the team officially has nothing to play for. Mark, anything else that we want to say uh, about um, about Robin Frazier at this point? No, I wish him well. I do think he'll have more success with another team. I do don't think this is the end of his ride, um, which we agree on. Uh, I think from before. So um, you know, Pablo Mastroeni found success after the Rapids, and I think. Anthony Hudson found success after the Rapids. Well, he found a job. We'll see if it's success. So we'll see. Oh. He, he found two jobs. He found a, he was an assistant with the USMNT. It's true. Um, so I think Robin will go on to bigger and better things. I mean, Gary Smith found great success after the Rapids. He's doing great with Nashville. So um, that's also almost kind of a depressing sub-fact here, which is people go on and do just fine after the playing after coaching for the Rapids. After they get scapegoated by the Rapids. Yeah. And, and, okay. Which is a shame. So we wish you well, Robin. I, I never really – I interacted with him very briefly because I already moved out of Colorado. Uh, uh, I think I maybe have done one press conference that he was present at, if if that. So, um, you know, I uh, – he, which is unfortunate for me in the sense that, like, he's kind of the first Colorado Rapids manager – that I spent a lot of time with and never actually met. Um, so, well, but you know, maybe down the road, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll get to shake the man's hand. Listeners. We've got a bunch of really good ask HTHLs, but first Mark, especially given the state, um, you know, tell our listeners how they can best support independent and constructive coverage of the Colorado Rapids. Folks, uh, you can help support this independent soccer journalism by becoming a paid subscriber, which we call a highlighter to our podcast um, and to our Substack. So Holding the Highline is a reader-supported publication as well as uh, a podcast. We do this out of love, but website hosting and buying gas to go to training ain't free. If you value what we do, consider being a paid subscriber at just $42 a year or $5 a month. It will give you some merch. We still have four, yes, count them, four pint glasses left to go. If you become a subscriber slash highlighter, you will get one of our final four um, pint glasses. Uh, we shipped out. I shipped out two today, Matt, which is a pretty good deal. Um, we really appreciate it. We're, we're happy to cover the Colorado Rapids in good times or in bad uh, and that is something that, uh, like I said before, we are the cockroaches of the soccer podcast world. You just can't squish us. Um, we're not going anywhere. No one can stop us. They can't even hope to contain us. Uh, and by sending us $42 a year or $5 a month, you'd be supporting citizen soccer journalism, and we appreciate it. Back to you, Matt, for our reader questions from uh, AskHTHL hashtag on Twitter. Formerly known as Twitter, currently known as X. Uh, Mark, you made a tentative list last year, that, or last episode that you were looking at um, for coaches, but there's there's been some discourse about the um, people who are available, people that the Rapids could go after, and then who plausibly, between the Venn diagram of what can the Rapids afford, who wants this job, who could succeed in this job, what that looks like. So Jason Maxwell asking, obvious question, any coaching candidates you like that would actually take this job? Mark, you made that list uh, last podcast, sleeping on it, knowing now that the Rapids are immediately entering a coaching search, um, any names at the top of that list? 
I made a longer list. Um, I don't. I don't love my list. I don't think it's the world's greatest list, but it's a list. Um, I do think that there are some European candidates who I didn't really think about who are up there. I added a couple names to the list who are um, good coaches who deserve a shot. Uh, unlikely people to come to the Colorado Rapids and other folks who um, I just threw in there. There's a name on here I really like that's kind of out of left field, but I feel good about it. Like, I feel like this guy might be a good one. So here's my new updated list 2.0. Okay. Everybody on this list is available or an assistant with a current MLS team. Okay. Aiko Para, Ator Karanka, Jason Kreiss, Mike Petke, Neil Collins, Caleb Porter, Giovanni Savarese, Jesse Marsh, Vitor Pereira, Tuca Ferretti, Andy Rose, Freddy Juarez, Medi Bellucci, Landon Donovan, Rob Valentino, and Bob Lilly. That is my list. Now I just want to go through a couple of the of the Bob highlights. Bob Lilly is available, Mark. He's not coaching the, Ra- the Riverhounds. He is, but you know everybody has a price, buddy. Especially at the end of the USL season. Um, okay, so Ike Opara, uh retired too soon, was greatly regarded as a really wonderful center back. Um, uh, we've heard him on podcasts before. He was on Sal and Benny show back when that was around. Um, he was actually, I think, uh, uh, sometimes like a co-host with the, with the show. Um, Ike is a really good, smart, thoughtful guy with a huge MLS pedigree whose career ended too soon. Um, and he's been an assistant uh, for the last uh, couple of years. So he feels like he's got some possibility. I mentioned last time, Ator Karanka is uh, a coach who's coached in the Israeli League and uh, La Liga in um, Spain and is a former Colorado Rapids player. So he seems like he's got some pedigree. He's also, as far as I know, available. Jason Kreiss and Mike Pecky are way out of left field. I don't think either of them is very likely, but you never know. Um, Neil Collins is their current coach for the Tampa Bay Rowdies. They've re- he really stepped in and overachieved with that club year after year. Um, eye for talent, tactical guy, also very young. Um, and uh, he's. I think he's, honestly, Matt, Neil Collins is my favorite pick. Um, but I don't think I don't think USL coaches or players rate at the MLS level the way they should. Caleb Porter's available. Giovanni Savarese is available. Both of them former coaches for uh, Portland Timbers. That's what binds them together. Jesse Marsh is available, uh, having uh, recently been let go from Leeds. I don't know what's up with him or what the odds are that um, he's interested in an MLS job. He's kind of already proved that uh, he can make it work in MLS. This is kind of like working backwards. But then again, Bob Bradley did the same thing when he went from America to Swansea and then came back to America to coach and was very successful for LAFC. Um, Tuca Ferretti is like an almost not definitely not going to happen kind of thing. Uh, he was playing in uh, coaching in Liga MX um, as of late, but recently got fired, I think by Chivas. Um, but he's, uh, he's a wonderful manager and a really colorful player, col- colorful uh, character and really enjoyable. Um, two MLS guys who are currently uh, in the Seattle organization, which means that they have, um, uh, they've been kind of mentored by, um, a really great head coach in Brian Schmetzer 
are Andy Rose and Freddie Juarez. I don't know how likely it is either of them are ready to make this big step, but I think it's interesting. Manny Bellucci is an assistant coach in the NYCFC system. Um, they're a fantastic organization. Bellucci had a great uh, MLS career. Former Colorado Rapid also. Do you remember, do you remember what he was traded for, Mark? Uh, I believe Manny Bellucci was part of the Kyle Beckerman trade. Uh, yes, he was part of the Kyle Beckerman trade to RSL, and then I can't remember if he was he was either dealt to Houston for Jamie Smith, or I think he was sent to Red Bull in exchange for Matt Conji. It was one of the two. I can't remember <laughs> off the top of my head. That's great, um, but I don't know. I don't. I actually don't know much about Medi Bellucci, the guy, but I do think that a former Colorado Rapids player who um, who's been out and around for a while, who is uh, assisting under a really good team. Seems like he has a lot of things. Landon Donovan is an available uh, pick. Uh, Rob Valentino is an assistant for Atlanta. And I think that um, he also had a long MLS career and uh, USL career. And so I think he's an interesting pick. Um, and then finally, Bob Lilly, um, who is the Riverhounds coach. He's never had a losing season. Uh, Bob's a really smart tactician. Um, he's a good man motivator. He has a very good eye for talent. Um, he would need a lot of help to kind of get up to speed at, at the MLS level. And I think he's unlikely to, um, be on anyone's radar anymore, but that's my current list. Uh, if there's anybody that I missed Matt, that's really obvious. There's some, there's some high, high flying European talent out there, um, who I didn't mention like Sam Allardyce, uh, Zinedine Zidane, um, uh, uh, there's a couple other guys out there, but I don't think those. Is it, isn't pa- hasn't Patrick Vieira not landed somewhere? There's no oh. way Patrick Vieira is coming to Colorado. Oh, um, Vieira would be great. There's three names that I'll point out here, Mark. First of all, um, part of this is the – I have a lot of Salvadorian friends throughout my life, Mark, so I'm very clued in from a CONCACAF standpoint on Santa uh, – not Santa Tecla, on um, – on, what's the what's the nickname uh that um el equipo i can't remember the name of the nickname for el salvador's national team but so hugo perez is the head coach of them he's been there since 2021 obviously uh most of his career was pre mls mark um according to his wikipedia page his last year playing professionally was 1996 but um and then he was a u.s national team player for the better part of a decade not anybody significant from a 1990 or 1994 world cup contribution and he understands conca which I think is some value in terms of the is he bringing in a different expertise geographically in terms of players that they could go after and for the most part Mark they've tried to play some interesting soccer some rapid slug life energy um, for um, El Salvador and they've mostly from a talent standpoint for me outkicked their coverage I th- uh, certainly from what they did in World Cup qualifying, obviously, I think less so in the most recent Gold Cup as well. But he's somebody who a lot of people have like pivoted of like the he should start getting more play when an MLS job comes up. I have no idea if he would be interested in the opportunity. He doesn't have any connections from what I can see, obviously, to Colorado. um, But we'll see about that. And then the other two that I might look at, Mark, um, both of these would be projects. I don't think that um, given what 
uh, Porik and has been said about the desire to turn things around sooner rather than later. These are great assistant options. I don't think that this is the direction they'd go in for the head coach. Jamie Franks at DU, Mark, I think has achieved about everything that he's going to do not being at a powerhouse. And obviously there's appeals to coaching in a situation where you're comfortable, you're happy. He's at an academic institution where what he does in terms of off the field, in terms of recruitment, graduation rate, and character development of those players can save you even when results don't go well. But if he has any ambition, like the the fact, Mark, that we haven't seen him being interviewed for Stanford or Maryland or UCLA makes me think that either that's not something he's interested in or that's just not an opportunity that's going to come up. Would he want to be an assistant on the Rapid staff, knowing the local market, having an understanding of the college game as well in ways that would bring more into the brain trust? And the other is Brendan Burkmark, who I was always super impressed with, with what he did at Switchbacks. They tried to play fun soccer. They did a really good job in terms of their international recruitment and finding kind of guys that were interesting. I think they did a better job of developing players to then move on to other opportunities. Nangalina, for example, who was dynamic for them when they made the playoffs and went all the way to the conference finals, lost out to San Antonio, who ended up winning um, the USL championship, I believe. If you told me right now that whoever the head coach of the Rapids are, they're bringing those two minds in um, as assistants, I'd be all here for. Uh, Brendan Burke is currently an assistant under Ben Olsen at Houston Dynamo for what that's worth. Next, Ask HTHL, Mark, we have is from Bray. Question, is Smith on the clock now? Say whoever is the next head coach succeeds next year, whatever success is, does that mean Smith got good players Frazier couldn't coach? Or if opposite happens, uh, we fail again next year, is Smith out? Bray, it's not obvious to me what the situation is in terms of pressure coming from ownership. And I think given the contracts, Wayne Brandt, Pork Smith are signed through 2026 now. I uh, the, the the only people who are getting rid of them at this point is Josh Kroenke or someone one degree of Kevin Bacon removed from him. And as I've mentioned, that hasn't happened at KSC in over 15 years. Paul Bravo left of his own record and then all the other coaches were either fired by the technical director um, or were out of contract in the case of Gary Smith or left of their own accord uh, CC um, Oscar Pereja going to FC Dallas. So I want to believe that Smith is on the clock. A functioning organization with a functioning ownership group that cares about this would say there's pressure on Pork Smith. And if this next hire does not go well in the first 18 months, fully cleaning house on that front, I don't know. Um, to your point, Bray, about the new coach and potentially a new coach bump the rest of this year or them succeeding as well, I think that's the one data point that we don't have. That's the unanswered question that I have. I believe that the 2019 Rapids going 13 games, two points in 2019, that was a reflection of Hudson, and they clearly showed that was not a bottom group of players. I don't know right now, as constructed and with some of the outs that we could see this offseason, that we see that bounce around. We'll get data points in the eight games remaining this season and if the new coach is able to turn around I think that will certainly be a knock for Robin Frazier and I think that will ultimately then uh, there's some retconning that'll happen or there's some perspective we're gonna have to wait for that to happen to then have some perspective on Robin's failures ultimately at the end certainly a lot of these players and then still the roster build by Porrick Smith as to you know moving around some of those you know bites of the blame pie. Uh, Mark, and then we have our good friend Scott Hammond who is asking, do the Rapids win another game this season? Mark, you kind of alluded to it, but let's uh, let's put a prediction on here. Eight games left. I can pull up the schedule if you want. Rapids, one win or no wins? 
How many wins, rather? Zero wins. We're not winning. We get two ties. Uh, the remaining schedule for the Colorado Rapids. Home to New England. Home to Seattle. At Portland. Hosting Vancouver. One of the rescheduled games. Home to Austin. At Dallas. At Houston. Home to RSL on decision day. I think there's only really two games in there, Mark, that you can plausibly say are wins. Is Portland out of it by the time we get to September 23rd? And do the Rapids get a result on the road? And then I have to believe that both teams will be eliminated or are facing elimination by September 30th when it's Austin FC. I will say that the Colorado Rapids win that home game against Austin FC. I think they can get a draw at Portland. I do not see more than one other draw in the remaining six games. I think a draw at Portland and a draw against Houston, uh, and that's about all we got. Houston, uh, Portland worked a draw this last week against Seattle, which um, Jeff Reuter commented on his, the Monday uh, uh, article that The Athletic drops, which is a really good article worth your MLS dollars, um, basically said, does anybody in the Western Conference want to win? Um, you know, that there's really no, there's no dominant team and everybody kind of like flubs their lines when it's time. So I thought that was an interesting point. Um, and Houston are kind of like, also they're, they're, they're like a very kind of up and down team all season. So, um, we don't play the galaxy again, do we? That, that would be, that would be a nice one if we had a chance for it. But it's interesting to ask the question whether, the Galaxy are, are going to kind of start to put pull things together themselves. Uh, they've also had a pretty rough season. so. Uh, yes, a uh, question that I'll throw to you, Mark, uh, comes from Rapids Foreign Legion, hashtag AskHTHL. Porrick Smith is often talked about regarding the Rapids, but another individual that has a key role with the Rapids is Francis Fran Taylor. Can you explain Fran's role and how that job has any impact on the Rapids' win-loss record? Uh, I can't remember if it was technically. I can't remember if he's technically technical director or sporting director, but that was the move that he had. That was the uh, promotion that he got that was announced earlier this year, Mark. And before that, he was technically assistant general manager to Pork Smith, who was vice president and general manager. Five seasons ago, I wrote an article about Fran for American Soccer Analysis, um, one of my favorite pieces I ever wrote. Um, and what I learned about Fran was that he really understood how to use the advanced metrics. Um, he was one of the first guys, you know, um, there the the soccer players today all wear a an advanced um, motion detecting system. Uh, on their backs. It's like a sports bra kind of thing with like a big bulky chip thing between their shoulder blades. And it marks all of their um, kind of uh, movement around the pitch, their ability to accelerate and decelerate, their um, turning and their pivoting. Um, and it also marks uh, and and takes uh, note of, um, you know, how their heart rate is doing and how much longer they have to go on the pitch before they start really exhibiting that they're exhausted. Um, Fran Taylor was like the first guy to really understand how to max, how, how to match that with the metrics the team was developing in expected goals in, um, you know, kind of other key metrics that they were creating. Um, Fran is also a really smart guy in terms of being able to create a number that expresses things like the Rapids way. So you can kind of 
take a bubbling cauldron of statistics to create your ideal number for every position. So say you want your defensive midfielder to be very effective at tackling and intercepting, but they also need to be able to play line-breaking forward passes um, and also need to be great at 40-yard pass diagonals, right? You can actually like make a number that will do that at every single position and do different things for every position based on what you think you want that position to do. Fran's the guy who cooks. Fran's the guy who's able to sit down with the math nerds and the other folks and say, this is what we want at this position. These are the, the, the traits that we want this person to exhibit. Um, how do we find that person? So he can do that by both evaluating who amongst the Rapids are getting it done and also who in the rest of soccer worldwide um, might be available and recruitable. So he's like a really essential cog in the machine. He also did some advanced scouting. So he could look at an opposing team and say, this player has this tendency and does this, and here's where you can exploit their weaknesses and so on and so forth. Now, when you move him up a level, um, you hopefully hire people under him who he can delegate to, who can find those little inefficiencies and efficiencies that the Rapids can exploit. Um, the trick about all of that is math is not math. Math is just a descriptor by other means. Matt's an engineer. He understands this better than I do, right? Um, you got to use the right data and the right numbers, or as they say in the business, garbage in, garbage out, right? Like if you pick the wrong number to exhibit something, it will tell you a story, but it won't tell you the right story. The question about Fran is, is he telling the right story these days? And another question that you can ask about Fran is, is Porik asking him to tell the right story? So um, I think Fran is probably still doing a fair amount of that at the level that he's at. Um, I think he's really kind of always been Porik's right-hand man, which is Porik says, we need a player we can acquire for $1.5 million who is under the age of 26 and who can be a central midfielder um, go find us our, our, a list, a list of guys, Fran. And Fran goes about and, and finds that list of guys. Um, and, you know, really can then evaluate each and every one of them on, uh, what specific things that they're looking for. Um, you know, it's, it's always a question about whether Fran is, is, um, finding that right mix between seeing good players with his eyeballs and seeing good players through math and whether those guys are either are the same people. There are true Luddites out there like Bruce Arena who don't believe that numbers will tell the story. You know, we've all seen Moneyball. We all know the scene where the, the scouts are sitting around going, he's a bad body catcher. Bad body catcher is not going to work in this league. Right. And they're like, no, that's Kevin Euclid. He's going to be really good someday. Um, and, uh, you know, like, but, but there's also guys who are blinded by numbers. The, the character who um, Jonah Hill is playing in that movie is Paul De Podesta, who was the assistant general manager for the, and then the, for the team and for the Oakland A's, and then he became the general manager for the LA Dodgers. And over three seasons with the LA Dodgers, he picked all the wrong players and made them a worse team because he only saw the math and he didn't listen to his scouts at all. So... Um, this is not an indictment of Fran. This is just me trying to describe what Fran does, why Fran is good, and where Fran might struggle. 
numbers never lie, Mark, but to your point, they don't always tell the full story and that context is needed. So to your point, is Pork asking the right questions or is everything being considered? Fundamentally, re- regardless of whether or not you want to place blame on Fran's approach to analytics that are why they went after Kevin Cabral or Andreas Maxu or whomever, Mark, there's just every single person at this point in the club has either been hired by pork like has either been after pork so pork hired them or pork hired the person who then hired them or they have been around long enough to where there's been a contract that has been up for negotiation and the club has agreed to retain them so any blame that you want to put on fran for either his approach or his talent or his experience or his background and the pros and cons that come with them have to come with the context that Porrick Smith handpicked him in the same way that Porrick Smith handpicked Anthony Hudson, Robin Frazier, etc. And so that's the that is where Mark I, I'm seeing increasingly for a lot of fans, there's not a trust not necessarily that like the Rapids way was a bad idea or that that pivot wasn't necessary for where the club was at that time. It's similar to where Spurs was at last offseason where there's no faith in the process, there's no faith in the Rapids way because there's no faith in the personnel. And in that Porik deserves more responsibility because of his failings in the people that he in what he's done directly or in the people that he has appointed in those roles and the feeling that everybody else is seemingly expendable, but not him from what we can tell um, publicly. And I increasingly wonder who all is going to be involved in that um, in that coaching approach. Are we going to see a more analytics approach mark to where then Fran is involved as well? Is Porik going to take a hands on approach? Do we start to see ownership get a little bit more involved in that as well? in ways that we have seen that with some of the other KSC entities. That's questions hopefully we'll get some not too ambiguous president speak answers to tomorrow at 1130. Uh, two more SKHDHLs, Mark. I'll take one. I'll throw one to you. Um, uh, Jerry Rome asks, uh, it seems to me that Kellen Acosta, that trading Kellen Acosta in January 2022 was the beginning of the end for Robin. Was there a way at the time for the Rapids FO to keep Acosta? Yes, there was, Jerry, but not based on what Kellen's, um, what Kellen's clearly wanted. Uh, just to refresh everybody's memory, that trade to LAFC netted the Rapids 550K in 2022 GAM. 550k in 2023 gam there were performance incentives up to 400k in general allocation money uh kellen acosta was traded when he was guaranteed for 2022 expected to be on the world cup squad in qatar and then had a club option for 2023 obviously lafc picked that up he is a free agent going into this offseason jerry kellen is available for mls free agency and in theory he's out of contract he could go sign on a free anywhere in europe kellen made it clear that he thought he had done well enough by the club and wanted an opportunity in Europe. It didn't really work out. Um, he was even uh, the his agent and his representation were even offered like go find a club that's interested in you. And the only thing that they really found, I never nailed out um, what country or what tier this was. Was a um, it was a free loan with an option to buy. And simply put, at that point. For the Rapids, seeing as someone who they didn't think was interested in re-signing with the Rapids after 2023, they did not see... Uh, they couldn't let him walk for nothing. So then at that point, it was, let's trade him for what we can get. He wants Europe. Europe wasn't an option. We He doesn't have a right to say no to a trade that is within the league. Let's get max domestic assets and then see, and then then he's no longer our problem. And I think it's a valid question, Mark. Does LAC lose him? Um, 
could the Rapids assign him to a new contract? And I, I don't know, Jerry, that there was enough money that was going to make him re-sign to be in MLS longer, knowing that he wants to be in Europe for the 2026 World Cup. I think Kellen's had that on his mind for several years now that predates January 2022. I don't think there was a way to keep him as soon as he didn't want to resign. What I don't understand from a rapid standpoint is every single time that they've had a distressed asset and they bet on the player, at that time it was paying off. Why not bet on... Him having a baller 2022, helping the Rapids succeed, going to the World Cup, and then off of that World Cup stock, picking up the option, and then just fielding all the offers in January of 2023. Ultimately, Acosta didn't get a lot of opportunities in Qatar. Maybe his most meaningful impact mark was him decking Gareth Bale so he didn't score on a half-court shot against uh, Matt Turner to win the game against Wales as well. But I, I still think you could have sold him in January and gotten comparable value. But... Um, um, maybe Jerry, uh, the Rapids in a vacuum will be proven right in Kellen leaving for free. But yeah, that was uh, maybe not the. There were other underlying issues, but that's the that's the one trade from a guy from 2021. Even in a vacuum, I can't forgive with how they approached it. And again, so many of the issues with what set up Robin's downfall was not who they departed with or how they moved on from 2021 players. It's then how they've reacted to with their recruitment sense. Last case, Ask HCHL Mark, I will throw to you, comes from our friend Jody Robbins, who asks, uh, with Smith saying that this team should be playing better, which of our players would be starting on other MLS teams? I say Gutman and probably Keegan for a few teams, maybe Ronan for a few bad teams. Maybe our players wouldn't even be on the roster of other MLS teams. Mark, right now, how many Rapids are starting for the other bubble MLS team, fully healthy, how many of those players are starting? Woof. Uh, that is, that's a brutally disappointingly depressing question. Um, Navarro's a bench guy. Rubio probably starts. Ronan is probably off the bench. Goodman probably starts. Hard to tell about Max Hu. He's been so up and down. It's hard to tell whether the team is bad around him and he's bad or whether um, whether he's just not quite what the team called for. So right now it looks like two and a half players um, would start, which is that's a really good sign of why um, Robin Frazier failed. Uh, yeah, he probably should have gotten more out of these guys than he did. You know, seventh place, ninth place, eleventh place. I can understand, but dead last in the league is is pretty bad. So I don't know. I'll say two and a half players. Um, I'll, I'll say more than you, Mark. I'll agree with Jody that I think Gutman and Rosenberry, um, maybe Keegan, not for a lot of teams or teams at the top, but certainly if anything happened to. Well, Kai Wagner plays on the other side of the pitch, I think. But I think Keegan's in there. Gutman, absolutely. Connor Ronan, I think, in the right uh, – in the for the team that's looking for a midfielder like him, absolutely. Fully healthy. Jack Price starts in the majority of MLS teams. Same thing for Diego Rubio. Fully healthy, I think, William Yarbrough for the right team from a goalkeeper standpoint, Mark. Someone who's looking more for a communicator, a shot stopper, a leader rather than a uh, play-out-of-the-back goalkeeper. He's certainly in that conversation. None of the other attackers right now other than Rubio. I think in the right situation. 
option for a team that prioritizes domestic players in the attack. I, I think there are other teams this season in MLS that Cole Bassett could have gone to and found more success and more joy. I don't think it's the majority of teams in MLS. I agree it's a 50-50 on Max Shue depending on what they're looking for and depending on his form, really. I don't know that it's much else in that regard, Mark. I don't think there's any other midfielders. And I will, I will remove, I will, I will table my answer on Navajo and Tavares until we have a little bit more data. But yeah, you're looking over under Mark. I, I, I'm struggling to get to four or five at this point. And a lot of those I'm saying on conditions that it's the right team. Um, but it, none of these guys really are going to LAFC and starting. Certainly none of them are going to Miami and starting FC Cincinnati. None at this point, you know, the, the teams in the top third of MLS right now, I think you're looking at one or two guys at the right position where they're just looking at a, a slight upgrade from who they have right now. Shall we get out of here? Indeed. Listeners, you can follow us collectively on Twitter, X, whatever it is now, at soccer underscore rabbi, at LWS Matt Pullard, and at Rapids96 Podcast. Send us your questions using the hashtag AskHDHL or email us at rapids96podcast at gmail.com. Check out all of our written work, uh, Rapids specific. For Mark, you can go to our Substack, holdingthehighline.substack.com. For me, mostly burgundywave.com. Uh, we will have the audio from the press conference tomorrow. It might already be out by the time you are listening to us with Pork Smith. And then depending on how interesting it is, Mark, I, I think the listeners, I think most people in the Rapids community were able to listen to that and then make their own conclusions about what was said and the way it was said and everything. But if there's any key conclusions I have that are worth tacking on two or three minutes of audio, um, I will include that. If nothing else, you can check us out on Twitter for our hot takes and, uh, you know, boilerplate bullet. Uh, point responses to what's going on um, in that regard. So um, thank you very much for listening to Holding the Highline listeners, and we'll see you next week to preview the start of the Crystal Era with a game against the Bruce Arena-less New England Revolution. Chase! No, sad. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.